Greetings, friends. Welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, here for a brief little bit of business before today's very exciting horror episode. Guys, it's official. Your friends here at the Film Alchemist, we're on Patreon. That's right, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. Guys, it is the absolute best way to help the show. You can help us for as little as a dollar a month, and I assure you, every single dollar is appreciated and helpful. So again, guys, you can get in for as little as a dollar a month, but as you begin to climb the very official Highlander tiered ranking system, you can actually begin to select the movies that you specifically want to hear us discuss in a Patreon-exclusive library. So you're not only helping us, you're helping yourself get the show that you want and deserve so again guys that's patreon.com slash film alchemist pod thank you so much for those of you who support us it means the world to us for those of you who are about to thank you as well you can go to youtube and subscribe to our channel film alchemist if you want to see video versions of most of our pods over there as well as some other fun content the email film alchemist pod at gmail.com you can find us on all the social media you're on and uh, wherever you find the show, give us a quick five-star rating and review. Help us fight back against the algorithmic serial killers that are trying to rush and nesting doll their souls into our unsuspecting baby bodies. That'll make sense, hopefully, soon enough. Guys, that's enough business. Let's get to what we're here for. We're closing in. This is the beginning of our final run of uh, horror movies in the October Mega Marathon. 31 pods, 31 days. It has been amazing so far and i think this last week is gonna blow you guys away we have a killer lineup with great movies today we are joined again by our friend writer director josh lobo make sure you go find lobo's movie which we also discussed on this pod i trapped the devil um i love that movie and i love this movie that josh picked weirdly enough josh decided he wanted to talk about wes craven's my soul to take a movie almost universally forgotten or maligned that is actually way better than we thought at the time. It's funny because tomorrow we're going to be discussing urban legends, and I feel like this movie is in store for the urban legend uh, film Twitter battle, right? Where we go back, we're like, it wasn't that bad, you guys forgot, and all of a sudden, we love My Soul to Take again. It's just a, a an interesting, aggressively mean, wild film with a great cast, that I, I just don't know if it was maybe 10 years too late. Maybe one of those things. It suffers a little bit from screamification, but you hear us dive deep into that. We are uh, here at the Film Alchemist. I know I speak for Alex and myself. One of the absolute greatest things that we have gotten from this show uh, was the opportunity to call Josh Lobo our friend. He is a wonderful guy. What I love about Josh Lobo is how fanatically he loves film. Fully, completely, obsessively loves film as an art form and I love the way he finds a movie like this and he just becomes one of its most passionate flag bearers he is the 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 Joan of Arc of lost cause movies and when you talk to Josh you realize that no movie is a lost cause he is one of our favorite people and again if this podcast the only thing that ever comes from it is that we got to be friends with Josh Lobo that would be enough but also just in case it's not, guys. Go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. I got you there. I got you. Filmalchemistpod, patreon.com. A couple 
couple dollars helps means the world. Um, so guys, without further ado, enjoy my soul to take. It's it it it's so weird and like yeah yeah no like I said I I all my friends went to go see the Social Network and I I just was like I don't give a fuck about yeah I can tell by the box office numbers from that weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to see this, but I saw it in 3D. Yeah, it was like like one of those like West Creek 3D shit and like rewatching it the other day I was just like I don't I can't remember like what was. 3d in this like yeah nothing, you know i read it was post converted in 3d i'm like what was going to be three-dimensional about this movie <laughs> could they, <laughs> the, the vulture perhaps the perhaps the vulture <laughs> just the condor and the, condor. the fist <laughs> see last this is this is cool and I, I had wanted to do this episode with you guys because like it's like a part it's like a part two for me anyways mm-hmm. because last year last october when they released a trailer for the empty man and I watched it. I was like, "Oh shit! This looks like my soul to take." And that's <laughs> that's why I went to. <laughs> and, and so I drove. I drove to like another town in like a snowstorm to see the Empty Man the opening day, and it was awesome. But I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like this weird disregarded movie cinematic universe. I just love the notion that your friends wanted to see social network. And so now you've angrily become like the prophet of my soul. Because <laughs> I will, I will tell you up front. I don't know that anyone else has ever mentioned this movie to me in public has ever asked if I've seen it, let alone want to record a podcast about it. Nope. So, so take us name. back as you, as you had forsaken your friends in Zuckerberg, right? Yeah. Which makes you look really forethinking now. Um, what about my soul to take makes it so memorable and fun for you all this time later? I it, it's interesting because it's like I just think it's like a really vicious movie. Like it's a really mean. Yes. I mean, I love I, I love Wes Craven and like I love Screams, like my, one of my favorite movies of all time. And this one just it sort of feels like in that same Scream universe, but yeah. it's like it's fucking mean and it's batshit. And and I think that that gives it merit where you know a lot of people have kind of discredited it plus it's also like comp it's like really competently made mm-hmm. like when you watch like we were just talking about a movie that i came out earlier this year that i like genuinely think is like incompetent it's just horrible like terribly made <laughs> this <laughs> this movie's not it's like it like moves it's 90 minutes it doesn't you know what i mean like the acting is weirdly like really interesting like it has a really interesting yeah and so i just think that like i don't know it's too weird it was too weird and people kind of discredited it but i think it should i don't know if it's good for reevaluation, but i like it so yeah and when you asked us to do it i had sworn i had already seen this and liked it when i realized i had it i started kind of googling and uh i was worried right this is a (laughs) wild movie not just hate yeah, it, but either you, you forget it or you hate it. And I watched the movie and I don't get it, right? So I, I see what you're saying about this kind of being like in the Scream universe, right? Yep. And I honestly think that is one of the curses of this movie is it's when stacked up against Scream, it's not 
as sharp as Scream is, right? Pretty much across the board. It's but it's still kind of, yeah, and it's kind of doing this meta thing a little clunkier than how Scream did. But if you take that element right, right, take that element back and step away from it, I agree with you. I thought the cast was actually phenomenal. All of the teenagers are really fucking good in this movie. I liked the uh, the setup with the serial killer with the multiple souls personalities. I liked the idea of this kind of never ending trauma for the town and these kids. Um, there's kind of a weird supernatural element that is kind of an icing coating on this, but doesn't necessarily manifest in the ways you think. I actually found myself really enjoy. Like I understand why to some people it's a little clunky and this and that. But I think to your point, there's just a lot of good stuff happening throughout a lot of this movie. Alex, uh, what did you make of my soul to take on your first watching? <laughs> oh, I love nostalgia movies. This was great. Um, it was like a nice little throwback to like 2001 horror movies. I, I thought like, honestly, yeah, it, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> oh no. It's, this is like straight out of like 2001, 2002. Like, and, and again, like I don't have a problem with that at all. Like, I can't believe it was made in 2010. Like to me, this just feels like yeah. this something... felt like a '90s movie to me. Yeah, for sure. this feels like yeah. something that would have come much earlier and not been released the same weekend as The Social Network. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people people will literally spend, and like when I say people, I mean like me. I will spend like forty dollars on like a 4K Blu-ray of Jack Frost. And <laughs> Well, you're a Keaton and, fan. That makes sense. Yeah. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I must complete Keaton's oeuvre. I, 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 like, torture my girlfriend's little brothers. They're, like, 16 and 17. And I just, like, every time I get, like, the idea to watch something, I, like, drag them along. So, like, last year around Christmas, I made them watch Jack, a, a double feature of Jack Frost and uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And they just, like, didn't, they just, <laughs> they just yeah. didn't get it. But I know these will be these are their formative years, so I got to get in. I got to get the bug in early. When they're talking to their therapist in ten years, they're like, "Josh made us watch this and this." I took him to Empty Man, which (laughs) that's just that's just doing. You know, you're doing the Lord's work there. That's part of the deal. Exactly. But people will spend all this money on this bullshit, and then like this movie. For me, this this movie is like the like the personification of like what Scream Factory does. It's like this movie that everyone hated that like Mm. 10 years later, they're like, oh, it's actually pretty good because yeah, why not, you know? And you know the movie that I think this could share a trajectory with, does that really happen with Urban Legend? Right? Urban Legend was a reviled, just dog shit. It's the end of this kind of meta whodunit teenage slasher thing. And now people look back and really like Urban Legend again, right? right? And I think there's a fact when there's just like this deluge of the same thing over and over. Yeah, And again, I think this movie, if I think it has a big flaw, right, is I think it kind of walks between two movies that it wants to be, right? Is I think there is this really fucking mean and interesting version of this film. And then they kind of soften it with all the the meta talking through how dumb these kind of movies are, which yeah. Scream did masterfully. Yeah. And this one, when he's like, he's been dead 18 years. And they're talking about this serial killer, right? The dad, the Ripper coming back. They're talking about it as, wouldn't that be fucking stupid? And you're like, I'm watching the movie where this is an integral part of the intrigue of the film. Stop it. Yeah. Like, it's just not done as well as it could be. But again, if you just get back to the idea that 
And it's one of the weird things that they kind of leave a lot of these hanging, right? The serial killer has like his five Jack in the box moments where they keep yeah. strapping him down. He's like, ha ha. And he keeps coming <laughs> back and he has a different voice. And so is it mental illness? Is there some kind of possessed spirit? We don't ever fully know, but it's right. Like that opening of this film is righteous. The first it's so badass. It's fucking like, great. It's, it's really awesome. fucking good. And it's really scary because they, they worried me a bit because they do a lot of that like stringy jump scare shit for like a second. But mm -hmm. once you start getting into, oh, this is a guy who doesn't know what's real or not, right? Yeah. And he's worried that, oh, he might be the killer. He falls in his basement and wakes up with the knife and the blood and just let me kill and I'll leave your family. You're like, oh, my God, this is fucking. And when they reveal that he'd already slaughtered his wife. Yeah. You're just like, they holy shit. Like this, he this movie takes off fast. They yeah. do that so many times, though, where, like, they're like, we, like, I don't want to hurt you. And then people will be like, you already have. And, like, that person's dead. And you're like, fuck, okay. Like, it's it's really twisty. And the opening is the opening's incredible because you're just like, I mean, normally, you know, we get the main characters. The first, like, ten minutes of this, you're like, the main character is a schizophrenic serial killer. Mm -hmm. So, like it's it's editing around and jumping personalities and you really don't know like what it just sort of throws you in which i love yeah yeah this movie also features every single like if you watch it it's just like a who's who of like actors that are like in style right now yeah it's just like every single person in the cast is like a famous actor now yeah. or famous like character actor <laughs> it's like frank grillo yeah I'm for sure Frank the Grilla, from The Denai Walking Guerrera, Dead, yeah. <laughs> Denai Guerrero, John Majaro, even I mean, like I think the most 2010 of this is actually the Ripper himself, Raul Esparza, who actually yeah. is just like one of the. He's like he shows up and stuff, and people probably know him, knew him best at that time from like being on fucking Law and Order. Like he's he's actually like a really popular theater actor. Like again, it's just one of those things where I was just like, oh wow, Raul Esparza's in this movie. What is this? That I think is, that Shilton. I think, yeah. Honestly, yeah. he's just the beginning of this movie goes so hard so fast. I that was like the thing that threw me is I was just like, what the fuck is the rest of this movie? If this is yeah. how we're starting with like little babies getting cut out of bodies and shit like that, because that was my assumption when it started. Of course, yeah. Um, I was just like, Jesus Christ! How but not only fast, but really strong visual stuff right like one of the things i was talking, like the jump scare things were starting to piss me off like when she runs up and gives him a hug and they're like yeah and it's like <laughs> what the fuck but then to josh's point like oh wait this is a guy who's having a complete mental collapse that hug to him might be rattling the serial killer body like get away from me and so okay that's actually a pretty clever decision to add right and so once you get past that this isn't how i think this movie normally plays there's really good stuff i like the little girl just telling the cop like get off me so now yeah. we're in this does this soul jump like you know the guy gets the gun and just starts laying waste to cops and doctors <laughs> what the fuck yeah but i like that it's all happening in this this happy home right because the, the question yeah. you're left with from the opening is how the fuck has he kept this thing in check and built this really nice life with this, you know, wife and kid and family. And so there's all this terror built in, right. In a way that feels odd. And I don't know if I would be honest if I said, I love the 16 years later, <laughs> right. I don't know, but there, I do like horror stories about 
the trauma of something bad and how it never fully leaves. Uh, what did you make of the time leap, Josh? I mean, I, I think it like, it's just a natural thing. I mean, like, I think it, people, I think movies have like sort of stopped doing that as much. Yeah. Or like these giant time leaps, but like, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. It's a story about like the kids that were born on the day, you know, that he. Yeah. What the died. fuck was that about? I thought that was going to pay off and manifest. Did I just well, miss that? Well, it did. It was basically like all of, all of the teenagers were born on the day that he died. And each one of them was like the personified version of one of his personalities. Now that's what I was wondering. So is that something that these kids took upon themselves and crafted because they've had to live with this their whole lives? Or do I don't we think, think so. there was actually souls, bits of souls in them? I think that they're, I mean, I think that they think it's a joke, yeah. but like that's how it is. Like, you know, like the the one kid is is kind of blind and shy and the main kid is like kind of out weird and because as these teenagers if you notice like as these teenagers get killed the main character bug picks up another personality oh yeah okay i see what you're saying now because i thought they were playing because again i think the supernatural in this film is played very strangely um yeah I think if I had a beef with the movie too, is that they, they do a lot of that classic horror movie cheating of the era where the kills are just insane. If we're to believe these are normal human kids, like there's a scene this is going to yeah. make me sound like a bad dad. Right. But when he kills the blonde girl in the woods, so she's laying flat on her back, lifts her up by her neck and is somehow ripping and gutting her to where blood is pouring out with her feet, not touching the ground, right? Like a Darth Vader thing. So I, I called my six-year-old into the room. I was like, hey, Hunter, lay on your back. <laughs> so I grabbed him by, like, his neck and shoulders gently so as not to hurt him. And DFS I was like, is on their way. Yeah, I was Put like, the I, phone down, listeners. Whoa, whoa, time Put out. My wife down. was in the room. Yeah, so I lifted him up. Just, like, how much strength would it take to lift a six-year-old off the ground and hold him up like that? And it's fucking almost impossible with a six-year-old. And so I was like, there has to be something supernatural. But that's it just manifests in really strange ways. What did you take uh, of this souls and the connection of the kids to the the Ripper, Alex? Well, Griffey, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Harry Potter series, but uh, it's all explained <laughs> there. I don't understand what the problem is. I don't, I don't They're know, all so horcruxes? Okay, my bad. No, I, I mean, like, it was, it's, to me, it, it made sense. Like, I... <laughs> maybe i missed it like again like it was just one of those things where like 16 years later and i'm like cool these seven kids i'm like no one else in the world was born that day is that what's happening like absolutely but they no were one seven else. premature babies in no, one ward i knew that it was more yeah. just like one of those things where i was just like got it so absolutely no other children were born that day in the entire world <laughs> um, he doesn't want to spread himself too thin i guess not i mean <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know i mean like voldemort did a did a great job he was good um no um <laughs> It's clever. Like, I mean, that's all really I can say about it. It just seems very, it seems like a clever idea for a premise. And then, yeah, like as time goes on, as kids start dying and bug starts taking on these, it's a really nice red herring through the movie. Yeah, obviously. But like, um, for me, it, it, it surprisingly works. And I'm not into this kind of shit normally. Like the movie was fine. Like, but I just, that kind of like bit, seems so like cutesy a lot of the time but maybe <laughs> for me because the beginning is so like the beginning is so dramatic and like so brutal 
it's yeah. brutal but not only that but like <laughs> brutal and then just like literally explosive like you're just yeah. like sitting there like jesus christ this fucking ambulance just flipped over what is happening in this movie and then we get here and i'm like i guess i'm just locked in for whatever so for me it worked really well and not in a way that i thought i thought it was gonna be like not interested at all like moving forward these kids fit like very specific archetypes and yeah there is this like meta scream thing going on that to be honest with you yeah Wes Craven's not as strong a writer as Kevin Williamson so like there's a lot of this like really not workable meta material about like what it's like to be in these kinds of stories um yeah but all of the actors are so I actually like honestly all the performances of these kids are so good like I kind of didn't I didn't care after like a minute like again it's it works very well for me to be honest with you shockingly good young cast right yeah Yeah, and i normally hate actors this age (laughs) but if you think about it like all of these actors have gone on to have like really because we can look at this 10 years later like all these actors have like pretty like prevalent careers besides like one or two of them yeah so like craven was good at casting Mm -hmm. but what the movie does is it's like it's very sincere like it's like craven you can feel that Craven thought that this was going to be like the next Nightmare on Elm Street or the next Scream. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a botch job for me. It feels like you know he was like, "Here is the next horror hit," and then it didn't hit. But like, whatever. Right. Yeah, I it think also- that's the thing too, though, is the stuff in the movie that really was way better than I expected. Where I really liked those moments between Bug and his friend. Right. What What was the friends? The ratty kid. Joe. Uh, Alex. Or the, or the- Alex. Yeah, I have a ratty Alex friend. I should have remembered that. Yeah, you got a ratty. You got a ratty Alex. <laughs> but I, like, I like their bond. Right, that thing where they were talking about, uh, you know, pretending to be a man and what that takes. Like, like it or not, we're men. I thought there yeah. was really good repartee between them. I thought that was really good. I, I liked, I liked the relationships that were forming. Right, even with a uh, Penelope who talks to God, there was like a charmingness to them when they were all together. <laughs> Sorry. Did you purposely just mispronounce Penelope just because? Yes, I've always pronounced it that way since Nacho Libre, and I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> I'm not going to change my ways. But, yeah, I mean, but it's just this I, – I thought the cast was great. Even when they added the the dumbest subplot of the movie, which is uh, his sister Fang, who's essentially a mafioso of the school. Yeah, yeah what the hell? It's It's so dumb, but then you're like, it's just kind of unusual enough that it feels – like something that probably really happened. <laughs> it reminds me of Twin Peaks. The way everyone acts just reminds yes. me. It's like a flasher set in Twin Peaks. And, <laughs> it, and and the thing is, like, it doesn't feel like just, I mean, Craven being Craven, like, it doesn't, for me, I feel like that was, like, sort of the intent was to make it, like, weird. Either that or he was just out of touch, you know what I mean? But I don't. I The thing is, like, even if Craven at this point was out of touch, he was such, like, a master craftsman that it, like, the movie is still very competent, yeah. which is why, like, this weird, like, you know, v- vitrol for it is like, I, I, I guess I just don't understand. I, I watch, yeah. you know, I see movies that come out with 80% Rotten Tomato scores that I think are bigger pieces of shit than this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost constantly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's almost routinely every week. I, I feel like, yeah. though, I agree with you. Though. I call that like... the old Shutter original curse right there. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, I love I you, Shutter, but I'll never get to make a Shutter movie. <laughs> <laughs> but Sorry. no, I mean, I I think this is the thing. I don't know that I would say that Wes Craven was out of touch, right? Like, I don't really see the evidence of that. 
because yeah. even as a kid who was a teen, like a late teenager in this era, but I was older, but still, this was kind of my era. This felt pretty true, right? And the the things yeah. they're going through and the struggle and the bond of being these famous seven kids. I think all the work is there. I think honestly, it just comes back to this. This has the kind of stink of a studio exec on it. Right, where someone Wes Craven's trying to make one movie and he keeps being like, But what if Scream? Right? And so we keep adding these little tweaks that are trying to bring it back to something that it doesn't feel like what Craven There's, was going for. It's funny you should say that, because again, like I it's uh when I started the movie, I was like the the first company logo that comes up is Relativity Media, which is like <laughs> I, I used to work for them. Like they are, it's the the famous thing in the business is that Ryan Kavanaugh, who was the CEO of Relativity Media, said he had the formula, which was apparently <laughs> this. And I, I mean, I hand a guy like I talk. I remember talking to people who worked there about it. Like it's literally like a plug and play formula on an Excel grid, where literally it was like put in these five actors, these genres, and this will tell you how much money you'll make in this movie. So it's funny that you said because like the first time when I when I like when I bought the movie to when I when I bought the movie to watch it, that I was like this poster is fucking dog shit. Like I was like this poster looks <laughs> stupid as hell. Like it's like, oh look at these seven idiots walking towards the camera. Like fuck this. Like there's nothing about this that looks interesting. But Whoa. when you say there's like this formula, but when you and you realize that they're associated with it, that to me I was like, oh that's what it is. Because like scream has all the actors lined up in their in their poster and they put fucking drew barrymore even though she's in five minutes of the movie on it like there is like a level of formula that does have this exact stank on it like hey we still need some of this stuff and like i know you want to make like your movie west craven but we need to like make enough money and like right yes. now our plug and play formula says that while your movie is good this movie would be much better if we had X amount of jump scares or whatever other like because yeah. it does feel like this competing thing the whole time between what Wes Craven is trying to do and then a little bit of like studio interference in some ways. Yeah, well, it, it feels like the movie to Josh's point earlier, where it's he's trying to make a more emotional Friday or Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. So this is what if the ghost of Freddy Krueger was just something that we carried in us and other people's way they viewed us and expectations and this and that. And that's a fascinating idea for this movie, right? And then if you layer in that there are actually these soul transferences because Bug is clearly seeing spirits, ghosts, souls, whatever the mm -hmm. fuck. And they are manifesting enough to where they're altering his decisions and behavior, right? So there is a supernatural element. Yeah. But I think it all springs from they really let the young cast play the emotions out and the grief. And so I feel like that's where all the yeah. best stuff is. And that's the movie they want to do. I agree. And they just were throwing the reins on them, right? A little bit, yeah. And and generally in like slashers, like all of the teen characters are played like assholes. <laughs> in this one, it's like you get that. They're all kind of pieces of shit, but they all get um I mean they they are, but like they all get like this this like brief moment of like empathy or something else oh, like yeah. you know you know alex is is beaten and the religious girl is insecure and the popular girl has a crush on the, on the weird kid so like you all get like they, they all have like a little bit more depth i think than just like stock slasher characters yeah. and then they're all and then they're brutally murdered 
Yeah, I was going to say, except for Brandon, who's just a, piece a crotch shit. dog. Yeah, he's just a rapey crotch dog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's the only one. But yeah, even for the most part, like one of the scenes I found myself really adoring was I liked the Fang reveal, right? That yep. she was his sister. Yeah. And she gave him this rocking horse, right? And that the nurse had adopted that. There's some real deep family psychosis shit going on in that moment. Yeah. Um, and just her being like, you know, I was the terrible reminder, even though I lived through him trying to stab a hole in my door. And you were the fucking miracle, right? Even though now you look like him and you're acting like a crazy person. I thought that scene was great. Like when he chases her down and he's like, tell me, and she just beats the fuck out of him. Yeah. It's so I love that shit. Yeah. It was great. But that's what I mean. It's so mean because there's just no one in this film that escapes just about as horrible an outcome as can be imagined. Right. And the, the Ripper is so brutal. I mean, once he kills Brandon and then he goes for the girl, he's just like, now where did I leave my bitch? It's just like, fuck, all right. Like, like there is no... And and that's another thing that I like, which really, you know, it feels Wes Craven. Um, like, it, the violence is not sanitized. Like, mm-hmm. and I think, I think the reason I ended up going to see this, if I can remember correctly, when it came out, is I remember seeing in the trailer when you... Uh, I always remember the character's name is just Jay Chan and he gets like fucking brutalized on the bridge. Like I remember thinking that was like really cool imagery. Yeah. Which, but it's fucking gnarly. Yeah. Well, that scene I love too, cause it added this fun little extra, you know, storytelling mythology bit when he's like, my grandma always said spit off the bridge. Yeah. And so he does it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool superstition. And the moment he does, he's like, I spit, I spit. <laughs> As he just gets fucking mauled and yeah. just tossed out like trash. You're like, oh, so this is one of those no one's safe, no matter what they do flicks. It really and, is. It really yeah. is. It kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. And again, I there's some classic cheating, right? Like the way they're cutting together to make it look like certain characters are doing this and that. And the fact that Ratty Guy did it even though the dude in the Slipknot outfit is at least a foot and a half taller. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, right on, man. Like, if that's the biggest gripe, like, so be it. You know? But I I just thought it was cool, man. Like, when he's stalking through their house, and you're like, oh, it's going to be Fang now, right? And then he comes out and kills Grillo, and Fang pulls him in the clay. Oh, okay, it's going to be this kid now. And it, they actually did a pretty good job of keeping me guessing who it was going to be. So... Well, not like the most elaborate who done it. The intrigue was there. So you're still a little you're still a little thinking while you're just getting <laughs> mauled with this violence. Um even like the the Penelope girl who gets it at the pool. Yeah. I think that was the one where I was like, this is just matter of fact, not even fun violence now. <laughs> it's like no, just that fucking was, rips that her one throat was open. Fucking brutal, man. Brutal. Particularly that one. And they led the pregnant girl wasn't in there anymore. So you're like, ah, the pregnant girl's going to do it. They did a really good job of that, of always leaving a, clearly it's going to be this person. Because this movie's not smart enough to fool me. And they actually use that against us a lot. I don't know. I liked a lot of that stuff. Yeah. They also like, they really like, Wes Craven does this thing that I I love. And I didn't, I didn't really notice it until I got older. Um, But like, just kind of like analyzing movies. But, like, he does this cool thing where he, like, opens a world up and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then in the final act, you'll have the entire third act take place in one house. Just, like, <laughs> one. That's and true. It, it's the same with Scream. Like, I, I always think of Scream as being this kind of epic, you know, slasher movie. But, like, really, it's just a bunch of people running around. Yeah. That, no, Woodsboro's, that like, three houses. 
Yeah. Well, once and you get to that nice ass house on the hill, yeah, that's the rich person neighborhood. Yeah. But it's like this movie, it, it takes place over one day and there's like kills all over the place. But then it just like completely comes down to just like Bugs' house. And there's like eight kills in the house and they find a way to get everybody. Like I love when they just like open the fucking closet <laughs> and like Forrest Whitaker's kid is in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was actually one of those moments that kind of lost me where I was like, wait, what? I was like. You make your friend who's blind climb up the side of your house and into your window <laughs> if he wants to visit. I was like, he does this normally? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm like, how do you even know he got stabbed? He could have been hurt on anything. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ. That one kind of threw me for a loop. But it was still, like, they had that nice moment. Like, see, you're a hero of the resistance, like I thought. Um, and again, they're just all really good, earnest performances. Like, he saved him earlier from uh, the rapey kid. Yeah. So you felt really bad at that moment with those two. I thought that gets to like the one scene where I was like, I could have done without this, where uh, essentially the two friends are just staring at each other doing the, no, maybe you did it for what yeah. felt like five minutes. And I'm like, can one of you just do it? Like, yeah. can we just get into it? it, it but it is, it, it is so weird because you're like led to believe. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It just, the whole movie works for me. And I think yeah. it, and I, I will I will keep ringing this bell. And this is this is not a movie like like the Empty Man. I was like, people need to watch this because it is not you know mm-hmm. like it is up it, it is up for almost immediate reevaluation. Which is it's funny because I remember talking to you guys a year ago when I went and saw the Empty Man. It had a thir- uh, it had like a thirteen percent on Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. Today it has like a seventy five. Like. Yeah the entire analysis of that movie has changed because people, you know, watched it. Mm. Um, I can't, I won't do that for this because I, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Do we have the power to save my soul to take? It just, it's one of those that I bet you if Scream Factory was like collector's edition of this West, of this forgotten West Craven movie, I bet there'd be a million, you know, bloody disgusting articles about like, mm-hmm. was this unfairly maligned? You know, like, dude, people were trying that. What was it during COVID? They were trying to get that essentially with the movie Valentine. I don't know if you remember yeah, no. that, but it like was... they're trying it with all of that. Pretty much any movie that came out between like 2000 and 2003 that was not well received. All are getting yeah. these like, uh, and I think it's great, man. Like, yeah. honestly, like personally, Movies like this that find their niche. Yeah. That's what makes them great. Like, that to me is what makes all those movies great. And there's a weirdly obsessed with box office thing that a lot of us movie watchers have when we don't really have a stake in it. And so much box office bullshit buried in hurt films that didn't deserve it. And this is another one of those kind of stories, I think. There was, like, this weird period where, like, I hope it doesn't go back to this. But there, I just remember being a kid and, like, every horror movie that came out just was, like, shit on completely. Oh, yeah. And now it's, like, horror is cool. So, like, even bad horror movies are, like, positive on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's, like, I think I think finally people have, like, started to respect horror, or at least, like, judge horror movies on, like, their own grounds, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I, remember, I remember going to see that fucking David Goyer uh, Dybbuk movie, The Unborn, and being, oh, like, yeah. this is this is fucking cool. It, 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 it's stupid, but like, it's yeah. cool. And it, you know, it's got Gary Oldman and Idris Elba and shit in it. And it has like a dog with its head upside down and shit. Fucking, and yeah. then finding out that it 
has like a five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But it's like this is this is spooky. No, and so I, think, I think now, yeah, I think now people are just like it's a horror movie. Like we're judging it on like the horror movie. Yeah. Term. Like I swear to God, if I have to go see like another like a twenty four like Lamb or some shit, it's just like, dude, give me some fucking, just give me some fucking kids. But see, that's that's the new. But see, that's the new. Like I would say, the standard, the new standard for this starts with Get Out and then Hereditary coming out. Like these two movies particularly are just watershed moments in this new. Hey, horror movies might actually be good, or like whatever whatever scale we were originally judging horror movies on like the general movie going populations now like i think we were a little harsh maybe we should like judge them like movies rather than like just yeah genre films that nobody gives a shit about like i it's will a really say specific though, thing doesn't it feel like lamb might be a perfect double feature with my soul to take <laughs> if that baby's actually in that fucking lamb i'm just saying but no uh yeah i mean i agree like it's it to me i look at it because i watch a lot of horror and you know, I went to film school. I do all the shit everyone else does. But it's like the way people talk about and write about horror movies, right? Like there was a critic who just did the, you know, Halloween's a paint-by-numbers remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's like you just don't understand at all kind of horror movies. You're trying to lump them all in and not taking them as stories at all. Whereas like something like Nomadland, that movie only exists to try to win awards and be critically accepted. So, yeah, if you want to go all in and take, like a torch and flamethrower to nomad land that's what that movie's daring you to do horror movies why, aren't like that that's why so many of the fucking like the award season movies like nomad land I, I i remember watching it in just in i went to see it in theaters and was like i'm fucking bored out of my goddamn mind like yeah like she's very good in it the movie is very beautiful i too have seen a sunset and like <laughs> I too have pooped in buckets. I'm, yeah. but it's it's just it's just fucking bo- it's fucking boring, yeah, boring. And nobody nobody is ever gonna buy the Blu-ray of Nomadland and just be like, I'm gonna pop this on, you know? Like they're just not gonna do that. That's I, gonna it, be I, the like trying to impress someone purchase. Yeah. Like, oh, I is this I, my fine edition of the Nomadland? <laughs> yeah, like something we keep running into this month, and like we've talked about it i feel like every show is like the burning passion people have to make things and like nomadland movies of its ilk which which feel yes there is certainly i'm sure there's passion to get a movie like that made but like they do feel like movies that are made to come out in november to win an oscar like that's the point of making those movies and you know not to knock chloe zhao she's an incredible director the movie looks wonderful yes like that's great but these movies particularly like horror movies and we just talked about this over another pod that comes out this month but like the amount of passion you have to have to like will a movie into existence and josh you know better than any of us is unmatched it's unparalleled it's almost insurmountably quantifiable so like to me when movies get made and particularly horror movies it's never like, well, and look, it's the easiest one to look at thing, look at them a lot of the time and go, well, it's a cash grab movie, but <laughs> it's such an unfair thing for a lot of movies that come out that are like this, which is like, it's not a cash grab. Like Wes Craven was on a five year hiatus before this movie came out. He didn't have to come back. Also, yeah, he had all the fucking cash by the time this. Yeah, he but made like, his this, money. This he doesn't movie need to do doesn't devolve to like 
uh, teenage cheerleaders in the shower. No. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. This isn't a movie that's just going for the cheap one. No, this, uh, I, and again, I mean, there is this argument in the horror community about is horror still fun if it's this mean spirited? Yes. And I personally think it is, man. I, I like my horror movies to be mean spirited probably more <laughs> than the average. Like the, the two words that will almost always make sure I don't click your movie is if it says horror comedy. I will almost never select to watch that film. And that's just my personal taste, man. But I think this one has a lot going on for it that you just can't get if people aren't buying in. No, I, I think I think what I, I like about horror movies is they they, 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 they need to push boundaries. Like, I don't mm-hmm. love, like, safe. Like, uh, I'll use this as an example. And, and I actually, I really enjoyed this movie. But, you know, uh, last year, what was it? Uh, Freaky. Yeah. Which... Mm-hmm. I, I think like it, it it doesn't feel one, I think everybody that made that movie did what they set out to do and like mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn is fucking great. So I'm not trying to dog on this. But like at no point do I ever feel that any of the characters are in danger or like do I feel like a sense of like, oh shit, this is good, something's gonna happen. With this, I was like, fuck, I don't know. I like being on the edge of my seat. I like sort of being prepared for the unpredictable like and I, I like the fact that it'll like pull the rug out from under me and just you know fucking kill someone's mom you know it's like yeah, that- just a dead mom on the floor <laughs> <laughs> jesus because yeah he's yeah. talking to the cop and it's just like wait what it's like, like i haven't <laughs> killed, I haven't killed anybody and frank Grillo is like but you have and they look down yeah. and the mom is dead and he has that fucking knife which has like the best clicking noise it's like click like yeah. Okay, so that has to be super natural because that was another one. I was like, is that a cheat that he's just like whipping that thing around like he's an old timey like greaser street fighter? Like he knows perfectly how to do like knife things. <laughs> it's cool though. It it's is cool. cool. It's a cool like looking a knife too. But it's yeah, like I don't. Cutter. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I I do find it funny that this one was so. Because I think you said it earlier, right? Vitriol is a very specific thing that some movies earn. Yeah, I don't know why the fuck this has vitriol because like because i'd imagine the only people that went to see this were horror movie fans yeah and the one thing i do love about the horror community and sometimes it's almost a fault <laughs> is just that like everything's good like some horror yeah. fans are just like if it says horror on it i'm gonna love it and defend it but sure. i think most horror movie audiences go in wanting to support the art they're taking in and this is a weird one to watch and be like, they didn't come close to delivering what they promised. <laughs> I yeah. don't understand. Which is a weird, it makes no sense. That yeah. is a level of critique that I'm just like, like is this like with. a top 200 best horror movie ever made? No, but no. it's good. It's fun. It's at least a good movie. Yeah. It's like a great, I, I watch it almost every Halloween because it's like, it's spooky and it's got like a good atmosphere. And I just, it just reminds me of the Halloween season. And, and, and I think, I think the worst thing that a, a horror movie can do is just have no atmosphere. Like if you, yeah. if you give me like a good atmosphere, I can like find some like redemptive qualities in, in your movie. And right. the, yeah, it's fucking Wes Craven with a $25 million budget. Like yeah. <laughs> if you, it's about committing to the premise is about committing to the story itself. And like, I don't feel like there's no, there's no one in this movie that doesn't feel like they're in it. Yeah. Like, everybody's yeah. in this. That's and... actually what I'd say more than atmosphere is Alex's point, right? Is I hate horror movies where they, and I think Freaky has some of that, right? There's a lot of these kind of new 
they're throwbacks to other kinds of movies we like in genres where it's you know the characters that are absolutely expendable yeah and i and they don't feel like real human characters these kids feel like a real group of kids that have lived with this fucking ghost for a long time it feels very lived in which is one of the hardest things for a movie to achieve nobody feels like like that that bonfire or like the the it's not a bonfire but you know the scene that 16 years later when they're out by the lake and they're doing their like ritual scene with all the ambulance candlelight vigil yeah candlelight vigil the whole thing like there's nothing about that that feels like all these kids just walked out of their trailers to set <laughs> and that and like and like that to me is always the biggest fucking problem with movies of this ilk and a lot of time a lot of times is that it's the lived in quality of certain environments and to josh's point and all our points like nobody feels like they're out of place everybody feels like they're supposed to be there in this movie and the scene feels lived in like i don't feel like i'm stepping i don't feel like i'm looking at wow, look at this gorgeous production design. And of course you can pull yourself out of the movie long enough to go like, wow, whoever the production designer was really understood what was going on, blah, 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 blah. You can have those conversations with yourself, but you're not going to do it long enough to not sit in the atmosphere of this movie and realize, yeah, these kids have lived here for 16 years. It's not, oh, these actors just walked out of their trailers to do this scene and like Wes Craven just called called action. Like, Yeah, in the moment yeah. you would start doing that, someone gets fucking slaughtered murder yeah (laughs) or probably the my favorite scene of the movie which will be the most weirdly memorable thing to me that condor shit in the classroom dude is so bonkers and the way they film it and the way they present this in a movie that's pretty grounded in a kind of sad yes kind of barren reality this is such a flamboyantly aggressive strange scene it's so mean it's, it's captivating so mean. Yeah. yeah. It's what te- again, like this is the thing that's crazy to me. What teacher that man like, had lost the, complete control. At the fucking end of the, the teacher's like, good job. Like, what the fuck, man? Well no, he Any gives him a hall pass. He's like, just go out in the hall. <laughs> Dude, Literally, but but it's, is, it's crazy. Also, with that is just like the fucking dialogue is insane. When the Ripper kills, which also the Riverton Ripper is a fucking cool name. Yep. But when he like Great. like when he kills the jock and the jock's like, I'm going to be a dad. And the Ripper's like, fuck your fucking unborn child. It was just like, whoa. I mean, are, were we not all on Team Ripper when he's like, who would you like to say one more thing to? <laughs> My unborn son. I'm like, oh, sure. I bet that's the one person. Well, like in the beginning when like the EMT like fucking brings him back to life. What did he say? What did he say? Like epinephrine's badass. No, epinephrine like, kicks it. But this is so because they... <laughs> The the EMT <laughs> dialogue like, at the start of this, the guy who just looks like Tugboat, the pro wrestler from the eighties. Yep. And he just he goes, uh Oh, don't worry about the mom. She's way dead. And I think he at one point goes, They think Elvis is dead too. And then he epipens yep. the guy and it's like, What is happening? <laughs> and he has another I can't remember because like it's it, there's another weird one in the ambulance, and then his partner gets stabbed, they flip over. The cop runs up and goes, Is everyone okay? And the EMT goes, Fuck you. that guy was bringing such a weird deeply human moments coming from that emt that guy (laughs) was like the bringing out your dead like i'm so sick of this fucking job (laughs) or like when when the when the religious girl penelope is fucking talking to bug 
and she's like leaving him. She's like, you know, pray for our souls, bug. And he's like, what? And she's like, if it gets too hot, turn on the prayer conditioning. I'm just like, what the fuck? Who talks like that? But it's cool. It's like yeah. it's clever and yeah. I thought they were setting herself, her setting her up for something freakier. Although yeah, it's almost too. scarier what happened to her. Yeah. But when yeah. she's in the woods and she just wouldn't stop looking up and talking to God. I was like, there's something very off with her. And they present her kind of away from the group and almost this like uh, it might it might just be solo. because we watched all those exorcist movies, but I was like, oh, is she is she is this is this possession? Is this gonna happen? Like this well, she's it's weird in the movie about the serial killer with the you know, myriad of pinata souls. Yeah. That were like, I think this religious girl's the scariest shit in the movie so far. <laughs> like I was a little weirded out. <laughs> Honestly, the more I think about it like and it is sort of just came to me because i was trying to think like what did you guys see malignant yeah okay cool this also Big malignant energy yeah this reminds me of, a, of like an argento movie it kind of feels like an argento like a like a teenage giallo yeah but like without the without the forceful callbacks because it is yeah. it's like a, a whodunit you've got this crazy ass knife like it, they've got it the feels... gloved hand yeah yeah well also it's weird... just argento was notorious for just he literally had no respect for the human body or life. Like, no. and maybe he did, and that's why he was able to show it. But I mean, just so viciously mauling humans in yeah. Argento's works, and this, this definitely, you know, what that is funny. There is kind of a malignant uh, giallo vibe to this. Now that you mention it, but like a sincere one. Like, I love malignant. I think that movie fucking rocks. But like, that movie is totally like making a I, I feel like that movie is sort of like making a joke about giallo like it's a little tongue-in-cheek with it yeah yeah i mean do, and the thing is like it was the best thing to fucking see in a theater i i my theater and i saw it in a theater that was pretty full when she's like i am adopted and it's like and it's the fucking that slow pushing <laughs> theater just went wild dude people started laughing and i'm like okay yeah, yeah you know what you're in for now yeah that this scene like, gave me a Garth Marenghi's Darth Plakes, Places vibes. If you ever saw that old parody show, uh-uh. that's and you're like, they know exactly what they're doing in Malignant. Yeah, I they were love, on it. I, I love Malignant, <laughs> and like, I love that it's such a non-franchise starter. Like, I think, and I think James Wan knows exactly what he's doing. Like that, they're not going to make twenty Malignant movies. It's just you know, I don't know that I'd rule it out. I would be shocked if we don't at least get a Malignant 2 announcement pretty soon. <laughs> I feel I like know. that could be coming down the pipe. I... HBO Max basically paid yeah. Warner Brothers the the budget of all of the movies that they showed. So yeah. like every, every single movie that has come out in theaters, the funny part is because they're all underperforming. Every one of those movies was in the green before they came out in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Including I, I mean, Dune. Yeah, I mean, I think there are realities of this world right now. And, you know, we're just going to have to get on board with that. Uh, yeah, I actually had a great time. I thought Malignant was really fun. I actually had a lot. It was one of the only movies where a lot of people I knew were talking about it when it came out. Yeah. Cause I was telling you like, other than fast and the furious, essentially every theater. And I didn't go to fast and the furious. I've still never seen one of them, but that's the only theater that's had even more than five people in it. Every time I've been, and so my hope is, in getting back to my soul to take, is that maybe this like curse of us as just fans of movies being obsessed with box office shit will disappear. And yeah. that something like my soul to take, we won't be like, oh, it's six in the box box office. It might suck. Instead, we'll just watch it yeah. and see if it I think fucking slaps on its own. 
I think there's this need though. And, and like, I know you were talking about it before we started recording, but like, I woke up, I'm like a fucking diehard, like my entire life. I've just like loved James Bond. And yeah. I woke up this morning and cause it just seemed like no time to die was moving and everyone was really excited. I woke up this morning and read that it was sort of performing disappointingly. And, and I, I got a little down. I think movie fans get really concerned with box office because box office translates to people watching things. Yes. And me as someone who loves, loves, like I love it deeply. I want everyone else around me to love it too. So when something underperforms, it's like, oh, okay, well, like it feels a little isolating, you know, like, like I've been telling everybody, I'm like, we got to see No Time to Die. It's the fucking James Bond, da, 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 da. And finding out that, you know, people might not care. Like, you know, people, James James Bond, these epic fucking movies, mm-hmm. you know, made 60 million. We're laughing Venom 2, which is like a colossal piece of shit, made almost 100 million. It really, it really so much is so bad. And, and, and it's just like, well, okay, like, I, I guess I just don't understand why. And so, like, you know, box office translates to that. And I think people I, want to think that's true, but I don't think it is. Like, if, if Bond was on my TV right now, yeah. I would have already watched it in my underwear having coffee. Yeah, it's hard to, to carve out my three and a half, four hours in the middle of the day with two kids. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? To go watch a man have the life that I wish I had. You know what I mean? Like, But that's why, because I think there is this whole, this cool thing that Netflix does. And my soul to take would be a great Netflix edition. Yeah. But there's this thing where these movies that got lost, they hit Netflix and all of a sudden they're like top 10 on Netflix for three days. And you're like, that movie's total viewership has just yeah. increased by that. They trend One million on percent. Yeah. yeah. And then they, there's a conversation again. And I think people forget that when I was young, the only one of probably my top like five to ten favorite movies I ever got to see in a theater was Jurassic Park. Yeah. I saw Jaws on TV. I saw Star Wars on VHS. Like, I think I think, I think we get really worried about artificial yeah. things that studios and businessmen need to worry about and not just people who are imbibing stories. Well, because, yeah. because the thing is the studios and the businessmen – like sequels don't get greenlit because of something's success on syndication anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if it's not a fucking box office success, the first fucking day, if it hasn't made two times the budget, the first day that it comes out, they're like, yeah. oh, it's a failure. We won't make another one. <laughs> yeah. Even though like, you know, the amount of movies that I will just buy and watch all the time yeah. is, is different. I mean, we're watching right. this. The problem with Netflix is because it's an algorithm and not a fucking DVD shelf you lose things like there's like six horror movies that came out in the last couple of weeks. Like, uh, there's oh, someone yeah. in your house and no I just watched that one. It was fantastic. Actually. I really liked that one. I feel like talk about another just vicious fucking teen movie. Is it good? someone in your house? I really like that. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we mythologize a lot of the time, how we've seen movies and how that makes us feel and that kind of thing. And for me personally, like, yeah, I like going to the movie theater. Like it's fun, it's a, <laughs> but like at the same time, how I see or consume a movie rarely like impacts. Like I can guarantee you, I would have felt the same way. Like I've seen almost every bond movie in the theater, other than the ones I obviously wasn't alive for, but like all the Pierce Brosnan ones, like I 20 saw movies. <laughs> yeah. Like I've obviously seen like, I, I like, I saw Goldeneye when I was a kid. My oh. dad loves James Bond. Like that was an amazing thing. Oh yeah, dude. However, every time after that, I watched Goldeneye, it still didn't 
it didn't change my experience. It was like, that was still very cool. Like, yeah. well, imagine I, what really made Goldeneye the most famous was that fucking Nintendo 64 game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. People played like, that game and it blew our minds. They were like, now we have to go watch Goldeneye. The consumption of this material and like my soul to take, I think is a great example of this. Like I did not see my soul to take in the theater, but like, no. No one did. <laughs> Evidently not. I did. Except for Josh. Except Josh for Josh. Oh my god. But like, I, I also my saw consumption the of it. Theater. My consumption of it. I guarantee you, had I seen it in the not only at Lobo, you saw it in 3D. It got post converted to 3D. Oh right? my god, oh, yeah. that's right. That's, I paid. There it is. See, like the funny part is, which means I paid more. <laughs> you paid more to I, see the Slipknot guys' dreads. Fly I paid out more <laughs> to see my soul to take in a theater than my friends did to ditch me to see the Social Network. <laughs> I'll show right. them. But see, like, the... <laughs> I can tell you my experience would have been the exact same uh, watching a movie at home versus watching a movie. Like, I want to consume the material. I don't care how I do it. And I think that's the bigger thing now. And that's like the big struggle with how this has gone in the last year because, yeah, we're stuck inside and now the movie theaters are opening up and that kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I don't, like, I'm going to, like, I'll, the way it costs on amazon prime or like um the paywall for disney plus for those movies too like i'll pay it like if i have to pay it if i really want to see it i will pay it just like if i really want to see it i'll pay for a babysitter to go to a fucking movie like i just had this exact thing where i fucking i paid 20 dollars to rent the card counter and like <laughs> i felt which i really liked the movie but like i felt a little i felt a little gypped because i like yeah. you know 20 dollars for me is like i love the theater and for me, like the theater is like my church. I know that we 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 kind of disagree about this a lot. Here we go. I knew a fight was coming. <laughs> I love the theater because I I have pretty like I have pretty like severe ADHD and I'm I'm addicted to technology the way everyone is. So in the theater, because I respect it, like I put my phone away and mm. for two hours, absolutely, it is, just, it is just me sitting quietly. And like, dude, every single time I go to the theater for my entire life, there's some teenagers ruining it. And for me, I just, it's like part of it where I'm just like, I'm going to get pissed off, but that's okay. Cause I'm eating yeah. popcorn and I'm watching this. Right. I don't want to pay the same to have this experience where I'm focused on something in the sound and everything. 20, yeah. 20 minutes. I know AMC is a little where you're more. fielding work emails and shit while you're watching the card game. Exactly. <laughs> I know exactly but, what you're talking about. But I'm spending the it. same amount of money. Like I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to pay for fucking thirty bucks for Shang Chi on Disney Plus to yeah. just watch it. You know, while on my phone. When I go to the theater, it's like I am dedicating a time, and you know, like I've I've seen No Time to Die twice since it's come out. It came out two days ago. Good I lord! Every day. I remember yeah. not having kids. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I remember <laughs> not having anything to do. Right, yeah. just fucking be at the theater for six hours a day. But it's it's yeah, <laughs> it, because it's great. You can just sit there and it's just yeah. Like, like it's like being very zen like it's a moment of just like you have I to agree. focus i'm not here to have this fight again where i tell you yeah, i don't know i love the theaters i really i love the yeah. fact that people should be able to make their own choice if someone wants oh, to yeah. pay 20 dollars for paul schrader's the card counter they should <laughs> and i'll be at the theater Do it. watching it I, free the people has, lobo that's what like, i'm talking about i think however i think however you consume my soul to take or any movie that you actually want to enjoy. Just keep bringing it back. <laughs> Alex is throwing harpoons like, me, into like, my soul to take. It... What? 
Oh, no, I love sorry, it. It's very, I thought we were, very I thought we were here to talk about that, not about the fucking state of Game the world. No. Very professional. Like, ultimately, it's one of those things where, like, I don't care. Like, caring <laughs> about the format in which your film is seen, and we all know who I'm talking about here, is such a petty argument. Oh, shit. It's such we're a going shitty thing to do. <laughs> like, I don't care, like, how yeah. art, how artistic you are. I don't care, like, what... Like, if your movie has to be seen a certain way, if your film has to be seen a certain way to be consumed in the right way, quote unquote, you probably made not a great movie. Just for Nolan is going to like show up at your doorstep and kick the shit out of you. <laughs> and I'm going to say, listen, if you want to kick the shit out of me, I'm going to take all your movie money that you're saving to blow up an <laughs> atomic bomb live on camera. Yeah, I would give myself a good puncher's chance against Nolan. If I got knocked out by Nolan and he's just filming it with like a giant IMAX camera, that would also be a win for me. Yeah, that'd be fine. He just undoes his cufflinks and yeah, he'd be too. He'll be too weighed down by the seventy-pound camera he's carrying around to film it. I will say this: I'm specifically going to watch Dune at home because the discourse is insane on that film. Yeah, so it does go both ways. It cuts both ways. I say, let the people be free. What all these fucking directors, man? They like. And it sucks, dude. And like, look, I made I made an indie movie that like, you know, the world doesn't even know exists. But like, we got like a press day, and you know, like I spent the day talking to fucking press. Ten ten press people walk into a room, and it's like, at a certain point, like you're just sitting there trying to think. You're like, I've said this before, but how can I say it in a different way? <laughs> so like, so like my movie that like didn't you know didn't cost anything and nobody gave a shit about. I I, I got tired of it. Think about making a $200 million beloved movie and just being like every day is press day. You can't just make some, I say offhand is shit all the time that would like end up in Rolling Stone and would just be like, <laughs> oh no. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, man, if I, if I made a fucking $170 million Dune movie, like big fucking epic IMAX cameras shot in like the Middle East, I'd probably be like, yeah, you should probably see it in a theater. And then sure. the fucking internet is just like, you're you're fucking ruining my rights. You know, it's just like, okay, like you. that's not like it's just a Here dude. Here you are, a- just shilling for the man, dude. You know that's not what happened. With that you know who never did that? Wes Craven, the director of my soul yeah. to take. <laughs> Wes Craven would have given the people the movie. Wes, Wes Craven died before VOD. Oh. Wes Craven was a man of <laughs> philosophy. He would have definitely been on the side of the people. Not claiming his movie's a speedboat in a bathtub. Like, you must I've, see the serpent in the rainbow. What an absolute douche. What an absolute... I mean, that is the douchiest shit. I'm sorry. That <laughs> the speedboat in the bathtub analogy? Yes. I mean, that is something that only a guy who's so rich and disconnected from the world would be like, this analogy will drive my point. Yes, off. of course. Everyone will understand speedboat. That's like mode. eating caviar off of the wrong crack air. Wait, what? What are you fucking saying? Stupid <laughs> bastard. I'll watch your movie wherever the fuck I want. Thanks. I hope it's good. Movie on TNT with like a commercial break. Yes. Five minutes. That's how I was raised. That's how I saw Shawshank Redemption. I love James Bond. That's how I saw a lot of movies. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I saw Jaws every 4th of July. No, it's fine. Yeah. All right, Lobo. Thank you again for joining us. That's it for my soul to take. Uh, (laughs) Make sure to go watch Josh's movie on your TV personally. Dude. Yeah, Dune by Josh Lobo. <laughs> That'll be our documentary, Lobo's Dune, right? It'll play with Yodorowsky's. <laughs> I just go to IMDb and insert myself into the credits. You should. Quickly, quick side note before you cut off. Yeah. A, fr- a friend of mine who will, who will remain nameless 
added himself to as one of the producers of the trial of the Chicago Seven and he, <laughs> on IMDb. And and it was like that for about six months. Awesome. This, as an executive producer, yeah. This is another yeah. great example of why IMDb is a flawed, flawed, <laughs> flawed thing. <laughs> All right, man. Well, yeah, go check out Josh's movie, I Trap the Devil. Check out My Soul to Take, guys. It's Indeed. very yeah. worth it. You'll appreciate fun, it. fun, man. Uh, guys, you know the deal. 31 days, 31 shows. So uh, Josh may be leaving us, but we'll be back tomorrow with happy yet Halloween. another horror movie. Yeah, happy Halloween, people. Happy Halloween.